0: The drill bit wasn't budging. Pulling, pushing, heaving. But all failed. Others would be called to assist. Eventually the drill bit came out. Relieved the men sighed, but a strange noise echoed from the hole. Creaking, cracking, bending and gargling. Within seconds, oil, gas and mud erupted from the spout, straight up into the air. The men were covered in this mess, but they didn't have time for that. They had to stop this immediately. They would eventually seal the top, but the damage was done. Looking down at the ocean, it was bubbling, slow at first, then vast and violent. The once crystal blue ocean was now turning black and spreading, heading towards the land. There was nothing they could do. They looked on in horror. This was the Santa Barbara oil spill of 1969 and this is the good, the bad and the pure evil. The spill happened in January and February of 1969 in Santa Barbara Channel. At the time it was the largest and worst oil spill in the U.S. waters and now it's the third worst just behind the 2010 Deepwater Horizon spill and the 1989 Exxon Valdez spill. It does remain the biggest oil spill to happen in waters off California. The source would be down to the blowout on January 28, 1969, on Platform A in the Das Cordoradas offshore oil field. In just 10 days, it's believed 80 to 100,000 barrels of crude oil poured into the channel and spread to hit the beaches of Santa Barbara County. It would destroy the coastline from Goleto to Ventura and the northern shores of four Channel Islands. This spill was destructive and would hugely impact animal life. The oil killed nearly 3,500 seabirds, dolphins, seals and sea lions. The spill was highly covered by the media with public outcry from the incident. As a result, numerous pieces of environment legislation would be passed, changing the framework and spurring on the modern environment movement. So let's go back and get into the detail on how all this came about. We start with Santa Barbara Channel, which has thick, sedimental rock beneath it, rich in oil, making it the perfect place for petroleum industry. This would be the place of the world's first offshore oil drilling field, called Summerland, established in 1896, and would be just six miles from the oil spill site. While this field was being constructed, an economic boom erupted, taking the once peaceful Summerland town into an oil boomer's town. This was controversial at the time as the town was seen as a health and wellness spot with tourism, nature, beautiful beaches and untouched climate, everything opposite to the thick, gooey oil. So late 1890s, Summerland Field decided to expand, making it closer to Santa Barbara. Townspeople weren't impressed and a crowd descended down to Mimara Beach at about midnight and started to tear down the rigs that were erected. In 1927, oil was found west of Santa Barbara, so a new oil field was built called Elwood. Elwood was far more abundant and produced more wealth than Summerland. Because of this, Summerland was abandoned. In 1929, oil was found within the city, so Mesa oil field was built. At the time, residential construction was being done, but this was all scrapped to facilitate Mesa, as oil would produce more money quicker and easier. Oil derricks now grew out of the hilltop, and although locals protested, they failed to stop the oil developers. This was down to a city ordinance allowing drilling on Mesa. These derricks would vanish once Mesa field dried up in the late 30s. Improving technology would give them advantages to, build, to drill farther offshore, and by the mid 20th century, drilling was being done near Seal Beach, Long Beach, and others in the Southern California coast, from man made islands built in shallow waters close to the shore. They didn't stop there. In Santa Barbara Channel, geologists would find an anticlinal trend that didn't stop at the shoreline but extended underneath the channel. With this knowledge, prospectors wanted the oil and looked at how to drill in deeper waters. After World War II, tests began to locate the suspected oil. The testing would cause annoyance to locals. Explosions would go off and rattle the windows back on shore. The force from the drilling would cause cracks in the plasters of the homes. And the beaches would be covered with dead fish. Locals and newspapers would cry out against it all but delays or stricter controls wouldn't stop the drill Finally, all tests would confirm petroleum, and with new technology, it was within reach to developers. So legal action began between federal and state governments for ownership, which stalled construction and drilling until mid-60s. Congress passed the Submerged Lands Act in 1953. This gave states any land 6 kilometers offshore or tidelands as they were called. It would be two more years to iron out details finally agreeing that Santa Barbara would have a no drilling zone of 16 miles long and 3 miles wide in the channel. Now several major oil fields were found within state waters but rather than legally argue the states decided to lease these out beginning in 1957. The first off- offshore oil platform was Hazel. It was erected in 1957. Then Hilda was erected in 1960. Both tapped into the Summerland oil field. Now, platform Holly was in the offshore portion of Elwood oil field and was in place in 1965. Next was leases in federal waters. The technology enhanced and surveys revealed oil was probably in the area. So the federal government leased tidelines three miles outside the channel. This was in wake of a 1965 Supreme Court decision, settling claims on submerged lands of three miles outside the limit, giving them to the federal governments. December 15, 1966, the first lease sale happened. Several oil companies would be awarded their lease for over $21 million, Getting the rights to drill on the ocean floor in the carpenter offshore oil field. The companies in place platform, Hogan and it was the first oil platform offshore in federal waters. By February 6, 1968, 72 leases went up for bidding. Union Oil, Gulf Oil, Texaco, and Mobile joined together to gain the rights to 241 leases in the Das Kuretis offshore oil field. This group rig was Platform A and commenced drilling September 14, 1968. From 1966 to 1968, people were growing concerned and were getting annoyed towards the oil industry, even though the oil companies reassured and repeatedly reassured it was being done safely. But June 7, 1968, 2,000 gallons of crude oil spilled into the sea from Platform Hogan, squashing these reassurances. So in November, a referendum was locally held and was successful in preventing construction of an onshore oil facility. So Platform A was situated in 188 feet of water and just under six miles from the shoreline of Summerland. It had 57 slots for wells and it allowed them to drill straight into the oil reservoir at different angles. When the spill happened, it was one of 12 platforms that were in the water and was one of two operated by Union Oil. On the new platform, they were working on a fifth oil well for drilling. January 28, 1969, the workers were drilling the fifth well that morning. It took them 14 days but they finally met the desired depth of 3,479 feet. Now only the top 239 feet was fitted with a steel conductor casing. The rest was to be fitted the same once the drill bit was out. But within minutes of removing the drill bit, oil, gas and mud erupted from the air covering the men on the rig. They attempted many times to screw a blowout preventer onto the pipe but the pressure, which was over 1,000 pounds per square inch, was too much to handle. The workers were ordered to evacuate, all but those working on plugging the spout. Finally, as a Hail Mary, they dropped the drill pipe into the hole. They then crushed the top from the sides with a pair of what were called blind rams, basically steel blocks that are slammed together with force strong enough to stop anything escaping the well. 13 minutes from eruption to the blind rams working, that's how long it took to regain control, which was quick, to be fair. But as the workers sighed relief, they, along with those in the boats, noticed the ocean violently bubbling into the surface. Plucking the top appeared to have stopped the blowout, but what it actually did was force the pressure down, tearing and erupting the erosion floor. Better regulations required the well to be built with 300 feet of conductor casing as well as a secondary inner steel tube called surface casing of 870 feet. This was to protect both casings and prevent blowouts of high pressure gas at the side of the well bores. But well A21 or the fifth well on platform A had no casing below 238 feet, so couldn't stop the strong pressure of gas once the top was plugged. Then the gas and oil would leave the wellbore ripping through the soft sandstone floor of the Santa Barbara Channel, exploding huge amounts of oil and gas straight up into the waters. The once blue ocean was slowly turning a thick black color. This sludge began to appear just 14 minutes after the blowout and it would spread for the next 24 hours. The largest was a boil up just 800 feet east of the platform. A smaller one was found 300 feet west. And several smaller ones were found in and around the platform the following week more effort was made to plug the well with drilling mud but the boil up still went on it was later found by investigators that oil and gas was still coming out through five rips in the ocean floor the announcement of a maybe disaster was made wasn't made until three hours after the blowout this was made by don craigs of union oil to george brown of the u.s coast guard Craig said to Brown that there was a blowout, but no oil got out. He denied any help offered and he stated the situation was under complete control. The real disaster didn't come to light until the next morning, when a Coast Guard helicopter would take Brown and a state fishing game warden out over the platform, where the seriousness of the situation was evident. By 8am, 75 square miles would be covered by oil. A lone worker from the drill rig phoned a newspaper, the Santa Barbara news press, to tell them about the blowout. The story was now out and Union Oil Vice President John Fraser would immediately try to damage control. Assuring the the spill was small and they were controlling the well, reporting only 5,000 gallons a day leaking. But later it would be found that it was 210,000 gallons a day in the first couple of days. So a couple of days before the blowout, on January 25th, there was a bad storm that caused flooding. Local streams ran into the ocean along with uh, strong storm winds that actually pushed the oil away from the shore giving the hope Santa Barbara beaches would be spared. But on February 4th, another storm hit, this time in the opposite direction. Sending the oil back and hitting the beaches of southern Santa Barbara County and northwestern Ventura County. Booms were erected around the harbour and beaches but the storm was too much. The oil was at 8 inches deep at the boom by late afternoon on the 4th. By the evening the booms had gave in and by the morning the harbour and 800 dark boats were blackened with fresh oil. There was a huge risk of explosions so people were evacuated. Both the oil contractors and Coast Guards began to clean up the mess. Very fifth, residents woke that morning to the horrific smell of crude oil. The once sandy beaches were now black and birds lay dead or dying. Residents would remark how the crash and wave sounds were now muted by the thick oil. All they could do was look on in horror. Once the media got wind of the story, it was major headlines in all the newspapers. It also received wide notice on the radio and TV. February 5th, a Senate subcommittee interviewed local officials and president of Union Oil to hear the latest. At this meeting, there was also three TV networks and 50 reporters, which was the largest media turnout to a subcommittee meeting since a discussion about the Vietnam War. So, local officials argued conflict of interest regarding the federal government and making money. The union oil president defended and deflected that it's not a disaster as no loss of human life had occurred. The biggest topic was offshore drilling, which had stopped on February 3rd as a direct request by the Secretary of the Interior. He ordered the hall to complete a re-evaluation and reassessment of the situation. When it resumed, they had enough of a break for a private meeting between oil companies and the Department of Interior officials. Local officials didn't get an invite; it must have gotten lost. But they were furious, and they didn't understand how the reassessment and revaluation happened within hours. Never mind not being invited. The heated discussion was shown on national TV, along with the horrific images of dying, soaked oil-soaked birds on Santa Barbara beaches. It also covered hundreds of locals and volunteers trying their best to solve the crisis, drying up the oil, washing the rocks, and trying to save the lives of the less oiled birds. But even after rescuing these birds, the survival rate was just 12%. Airplanes dropped chemical cleaners to help break up the oil. A dolphin was found with his blowhole clogged by oil. Ships at shore skimmed oil off the ocean surface, but no matter how fast it skimmed, the new oil just kept coming in. Later, February 6, just one day after the spill hit the beach, President Nixon announced drilling to stop, along with production, with one exception of the relief well being drilled to intersect the blowout borehole. But the oil kept coming from the ocean floor. By noon on February 7th, a 1.3 billion dollar class action lawsuit was filed against Union Oil and Platform A. Back on Platform A, the men working kept trying to stop the spill. That evening would be their final attempt. They pumped 13,000 barrels of drilling mud into the well. Just as this mud was running low and they were about to give up, the oil and gas bubbling in the ocean started to slow and by 8pm it had stopped. As a last ditch, they threw 1,000 sacks of concrete down the well. Well A21, the fifth well on platform A, would leak no more. By then, 2 million gallons of oil had spilled into the ocean, but it wasn't over yet. February 12th, a commercial fisher research vessel would make a grim finding on the ocean floor, three large boils of gas and oil were erupting and the slick was still rising to the surface. Again, a worker on the rig called the press. It's not known if it was the same caller as before, but the press got wind from a worker of a new oil spill that was coming from the ocean floor, coming from someplace else other than the borehole. Outcry was deafening from the locals especially because once again it was an ordinary worker who sent the alarm and not the oil company. This problem was way bigger than before as it was underwater on the ocean floor making accessibility very hard. Union Oil attempted to seal the leak by putting a large steel cap on the affected area but leaks spread it up all over. The company believed the leak rate was 4000 gallons a day. Something had to be done, so the federal government approved to open some wells to stop oil underneath the ocean floor. They even approved open the one to start it all, A21. But it didn't work. Next they tried to pump oil at full force from all five wells on platform A. Doing this they thought it would reduce the pressure and slow the leak rate. But it did the opposite, having oil spilling out faster than ever. The clean-up on the shores was one step forward, two steps back, with waves of fresh oil spilling onto the somewhat clean beaches. Taking a more nuke approach, the Union tried to cement the underwater cracks, but nope, the leaks continued. By month's end, it slowed to 30 barrels a day, dipping to 5-10 barrels a day by June 1969. However, it stayed leaking until into 1970. December 15 to 20th, 1969, one last spill would happen at Platform A, from a pipeline break spilling 400 barrels of oil. From the first spill it took 45 days to clean most beaches, but oil would continue to come ashore. By Jun- June 1st most beaches could open to the public, but it wasn't until August 15th that the more rocky areas were cleaned. Oil though continued and by August 26th the harbour had to close once again as it was back covered in oil. Those cleaning would go out on boats and use straw to gather the oil just as they did six months before. So when a horrible tragic event happens, the president dons a visit. And on March 21st, President Nixon landed in Santa Barbara to see the spill and the cleanup. While there, he took a helicopter out to see the channel, platform A, to polluted and half clean beaches. Coming back on land, he spoke to residents, promising them the moon and the stars would improve in how environmental problems are handled. He advised a halt to all offshore drilling and told reporters that the Department of Interior would expand the buffer zone in the channel an extra 34,000 acres. And where the previous buffer was is now zoned for ecological preserve. But by April 1st, the day of fools ironically, the ban was lifted. Drilling began on five leases in the channel with apparently stricter oversight. This though, really pissed off the locals. To add insult to injury, August 15th, the Department of Interior gave the go ahead for Sun Oil to build platform Hill House, which was beside platform A. Those building the new platform would be harassed by protesters from start to finish from the shipyard, down the coast, and then at the channel. A fishing would be staged with boats and helicopters swarming the platform, claiming to be fishing, and wouldn't leave until the Supreme Court dealt with the appeals against the platform. While protesting, constructions continued. An accident would happen when a crane lifting the platform off a barge accidentally dropped the platform, ending legs up in the water, just missing the protesters while it floated upside down annoying the residents who were sick of oil company accidents the supreme court denied the appeal and let sun oil go ahead november 26 the platform was finally installed correctly the last platform built of the four and dos karedes field was in 1977. the environmental effects of the spill happened straight away and were horrific birds found dead totaled 3686 but the number is thought to be far, far higher. Sea lions and elephant seals were found dead, but the exact number isn't known. The fish population appeared unaffected, but data did show that in 1969, there was a drop in their numbers. Barnacles were massively killed off, up to 90% from the spill. Long-term effects were small. A study funded by Western Oil and Gas Association gives several reasons why this was what happened. This suggests that the creatures may have had a high tolerance to oil, because oil would have constantly naturally dripped into the water, although small it would have helped build up a tolerance. Then they pointed out that there was oil eating bacteria in the ocean. Next was the spill happened around two storms making the oil break up and spread quicker. The crude oil there was heavier than normal so it would sink rather than sit on top so the fish were exposed for shorter times. Now at first sea mammals were claimed not to be affected, but this was found not true by Life magazine, who sent reporters and photographers to San Miguel Islands, west from the Channel. They found over a 100 dead animals covered with oil on the beaches. The economy was also affected by the spill. Commercial fishing was stopped in the area and tourism all took a nosedive. Property damage was huge especially thanks to the storm lifting the oil higher than normal tide level. Lawsuits were filed against Union Oil for damages. Within 5 years there were settlements, 4 million dollars was given to Santa Barbara. Hotel owners, homes and shops got 6.5 million dollars and commercial fishers got 1.3 million dollars. In total 9.5 million dollars would be given out in settlements. So Santa Barbara spill wasn't the only spill event, but it was the most dramatic and would have several key events that would lead to regulatory and legislation being constructed. In the 60s, industrial pollution and the outcome from it was being more, made more aware to the public. When the Santa Barbara spill happened, it was the largest in the US. With locals standing up, it made the battle public against the oil company, company bringing the anti-oil cause more to life. Several years after, there would be more environmental legislation passed. Since 69, the California State Lands Commission have not granted new leases for offshore drilling within the jurisdiction. But federal orders continue to. A year after the spill on January 28, 1970, Santa Barbara celebrated Environmental Rights Day. The aftermath of the spill inspired Senator Nelson he then went on to organise Earth Day on uh, April 22, 1970. He was able to gather 20 million to the cause and educated them on the issues of the environment. Today, Platform A still remains, still pumping away. As of 2010, the DOS crudest field produced 260 million barrels of oil. The field of oil is now thought to be low running on just 11,400,000 barrels. Although technology and regulation of the oil industry has hugely improved since the spill, there still will be many, many more, and even worse of oil spills, such as the 2010 BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which I will cover later on. Thanks for listening. Next time I'll be talking about the mysterious serial killer, the Zodiac, This was the good, the bad and the pure evil.